Well, hello, Greg. I'm not sure if I should say hello to you or to the people listening. Well, I don't know. I guess we're kind of talking to each other, but there are people listening in. Uh, well, hopefully. So maybe both. Yeah. Otherwise, it's just a really like a cumbersome way for us to have a conversation. <laughs> yeah, because, you know, by now we would have already been talking, but now yeah. we're worried about who's listening. Yeah. Uh, all right. So I'll jump into my very short intro and we'll kind of talk about uh, kind of little life and business timeline stuff. Uh, my voice is Jason Zook. I will be one half of the Move the Needle podcast here. And my voice is Greg Hartle, the other half. Ooh, very exciting. I, I think... Oh man, there's so many places we could we could go with this. Um, but I almost feel like it would be fun to maybe not go through our full journey, like just, hey, where were you on this time in timeline? So I'll start with like just kind of my brief childhood. So grew up with a single mom, um, had a sister when I was eight, have had multiple father figures, never really like a stable father figure, but my mom instilled upon me so many great values on hard work and kind of pulling yourself up by the old proverbial bootstraps. But the one thing that, well, she was great at saying like, hey, you know, you can do anything. I never felt like I had to follow a, a specific path in life. She did make me go to college. And mm-hmm. this was one thing I just, I really didn't want to do. So for me, that was 2000 when I went to college. And at the time, I was already like really big into computers. Like I had the gateway computer, the desktop that came in the cow box. And <laughs> I was on AOL. I was in chat rooms. I was building websites through GeoCities and learning the very beginning of like HTML. CSS wasn't even really talked about at the time. And if anybody remembers building a website with like marquee scrolling text, like that was my big achievement uh, during that time. But yeah, I went to college and I just felt like it was an utter and complete waste of time. But I stuck with it because I wanted to make my mom happy and uh, my grand- great grandparents had given me money for college. And so I didn't want to just kind of squander mm-hmm. that. And I actually didn't have anybody in my life at the time to go, hey, you could drop out of college and use this money to start a business or do your own thing. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't even know that was a choice. Uh, so for me, I went to college, finished up college, and then got a nine-to-five job. So I want to kind of pause there, go back to you, where your journey led up to there, and then maybe yeah. we'll just kind of swap places. Well, I think you know part of the great thing about our friendship, as we've learned over the years, is we have a lot of similarities with our backgrounds, so we can relate to each other in many ways, but we took completely different paths. You know, so I grew up with a single mother, older brother, younger sister, similar circumstances. I mean, we were, we grew up pretty poor. Um, You know, my mom was always working two, three jobs. I didn't do very well in high school. I was mostly just a partier, uh, never went to class, those sorts of things. I didn't even think college was an option. So in my family, we never discussed college. College wasn't even really on the table. And I was completely, you know, when I graduated at the age of 17, going into 18, I had no idea what my future was going to be at all. So for me, it was like, uh uh-oh, you know, I'm an adult now, got to figure some things out. Um, you know, landed a couple of odd jobs here, there, construction jobs, that sort of thing, uh, which was a complete disaster. <laughs> and then, uh, and then, uh, happened to respond to an ad. Uh, I'm a little bit older than you. So, so I was still looking at ads in the newspaper for jobs. Mm. 
and uh, responded to an ad because the hours were perfect for going out drinking at night and then being <laughs> able to sleep in in the morning. Got those which priorities. Which literally why I applied for that job. But it turned out to be a husband and wife who, who started a business, a transcription company out of their house, and I was their first employee. So it was, um, and then we went on, I stayed there for seven years and we went on to build a multi-million dollar company. And I learned basically everything I could possibly learn about building a small business. Cause when I started, you know, it was nothing. And then we, you know, we went on to have hundreds of employees, you know, huge, large contracts. And over the years, I just kept kind of rising to the occasion, um, with whatever the needs were and learning how to run a business. And by the time I left there, I, I had learned quite a bit about how to run a business. So I, I got started, you know, when I was 18, 19 years old, uh, right away into how to run a business basically. And, you know, it took off from there. And I think I've always been jealous of this, of you, because now knowing what I know, like that trial by fire is so mm. important. And, and it's yeah, exactly it what, if I was to give, and, and I, I used to do a lot of public speaking and, and even talking at like high schools or colleges. And I, I know that the people who brought me there always hated when I brought this up, but it was like, you're going to learn so much more in real world experience, especially like <laughs> yeah. entrepreneurship. It's the worst. I think it's the worst thing for people to learn current today, especially internet age entrepreneurship. And I know I'm deviating from our timeline discussions, but you know, this is probably how this is going to go of like, you're in a comfortable air conditioned classroom and you have no skin in the game. Like, what do you actually learn there? And and what I think is really interesting is even the principles of like expenses and profits and loss Mm -hmm. and how Mm -hmm. to manage employees and all those things. I don't even think that those are good things for people to learn in a classroom because they're so different for every single business. And yes, and I think one of the things that I've I've definitely enjoyed watching and talking with you over the years is you do have a couple very kind of specific things that you go through when you talk about businesses. And we're going to get into so many of those things. Um, and it's funny because I had never really thought of it in the way that you think of it, which is like the people process product, which is the mm-hmm. Marcus Limonis. Like he kind of made right. that famous with the show, The Profit. But we were talking, I was talking about that with you for years. And I was like, oh, this right. is really interesting. It's really kind of those three core principles of every business. Um, okay. So I don't want to go too into that. Yep. I just want to mention we'll I was jealous. that later. Yeah. So you you didn't go to college. You got into this nope. this gig, uh, learned a ton. I finished up college, <laughs> worked a myriad of jobs during college. One of which my favorite was at Athletes Foot, uh, which I'm not sure is even in business <laughs> anymore because it's like the worst name ever. Uh, but <laughs> that was like the first uh, experience for me where my paycheck. I was living paycheck to paycheck only because I was handing them back my paycheck every, every week. And so it was just like, oh yeah, okay. I want the new Jordans. Yep. Okay. I want the, you know, the new Kobe's or whatever. And that was kind of the first thing for me where I was like, oh, you know what? Working night, like an hourly job or even nine to five, I don't think I'm going to make enough money to, to have the life that I want. And, and that was before I even had like any values or any of that stuff. It was just mm. this, the kind of the seed was planted of, Oh, this is interesting. Like I'm very capped at what I can get out of this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I actually got a job at an internet coffee company. This is 2004. So this is right after the bubble or during the bubble. Um, they don't, they don't exist anymore. And I was a part time design intern. I was a part time intern, Greg. I wasn't even like a full time intern. Mm. And, I I remember I didn't learn anything about their business because they didn't care to teach any of their employees anything. They just were like, you're a factory worker, essentially do this job, whatever. And it was it was really an eye opening experience of, man, 
this is not fun. Like commuting, going to this job. I don't even feel like I'm actually a part of it. I'm just clocking in and doing work. And then I promptly got fired like two months afterwards mm. because I think their business went under. And I just remember like that was the second thing for me where I was like, okay, uh, working for a, another person's company is not, I don't think it'd be a good fit. But I didn't learn my lesson because I didn't have any other options. Like I didn't even know what I didn't know, you know? And, and so right. I, I got a job, uh, not in the paper, but on some online, you know, job boards, I found a job working as a designer for men's professional tennis, um, which was the, which is, is the ATP. Most people have never heard of it, but if you know the NBA, the right. NFL, those things, that's the governing body of men's tennis, which is ATP. Right. And I, I got that job, such a great job for all intents and purposes. It was three miles from my house. Uh, my boss was amazing. He just gave me so much freedom and autonomy. I learned a ton just from him, both working with people and other things. Uh, you know, the work was pretty cool. I was experimenting with using like Flash at the time and doing some animations. I'm working on a website that got like 12 million views a month. And it was it was crazy. Wow. Like you break yeah. one thing <laughs> and a lot of people find out. But luckily this is, <laughs> you know, 2005, 2006. So there's not a lot of ways they can get in touch with you, which is nice. Otherwise you'd be like blasted on social media. <laughs> uh, yeah. I remember some of the, just some of the mistakes that I made looking back, like what a hilarious thing. But there was one point in my journey there where I'm sitting at my desk, everything is beige. So like beige walls, beige cubicle, beige <laughs> desktop, beige chair. It's just, it's all beige. And someone dropped Seth Godin's Purple Cow book on my desk. Mm. And that was like the third strike you're out for me. I was like four pages into that book going, why am I working here? What am I doing? Right. This is not for me. And so I started my own design company with a friend part-time. We worked kind of nights. We had no clients. We didn't know anybody. But we started to just keep telling friends and family about it. Eventually, we got one client that I think my friend had known in college or something, and that led to them referring another person. And after six months of working like four hours a night on this design stuff and just kind of talking to my friend, we had built up enough of a cash buffer to go full time. And I think the cash buffer we built up was like three months of runway, which was like $12,000 or something. Like it mm -hmm, wasn't a ton mm -hmm. of money. And we decided to go full time. And I, I I just had never been more charged up in my life. And I don't know if you remember any of the moments when you were working um, at that business when you were 19, because it's tough when you're 19 to have those moments, but to really think like, oh, I can control my future. I can actually mm -hmm. put in time and get more rewards out of that time. Right. And that was really right. like where my entrepreneurial career kind of kicked off. Well, so that's, you know, that's the thing that I think is so fortunate about my life is I had two bosses, you know, a husband and wife who kind of became parent figures for me. So I, you know, obviously I was putting in a lot of work and I was doing a lot of things for them and I, and I was working really hard at it and trying to be really good at it. And they saw that promise in me. So they started treating me somewhat like parent figures and uh, really kind of took me under their wing and mentored me. So I feel fortunate that I had direct contact with somebody that was saying, I see potential in you. Let's figure out what we can do to help you realize that potential. So they were very um, accommodating to helping me become somebody uh, and, and learn the ropes of this business, 
but also just how to navigate life. So, but when I was 19, I was starting to dig into goals, how to have values. Um, you know, I got into a lot of the Tony Robbins stuff, for example, um, and started to really kind of break down what my life was, what I cared about, where I wanted to go. And they helped guide me throughout that process. So for me, it was kind of just the opposite in that, uh, I knew I was going to be uh, working on big projects. I knew that my time meant money. I knew that uh, if I set values and then I set goals around those values and then I just uh, started working on my habits, I could achieve things. So I started having quite a bit of success in multiple facets of my life. And and the uh, interesting thing is, uh, they just kind of took me along for that ride. But I do remember, you know, there's always a couple key moments, like you're describing the Seth Godin book. Mm-hmm. I had, I had, um, you know, similar situations where I, I didn't really get an education growing up, and I really was just kind of a street kid. You know, I often referred to myself as kind of a street kid, just running the streets. You know, so. I didn't really have formalized experiences. So what they would do is they would bring me along in formalized experiences. So they would invite me to, for instance, like social parties at their house. Hmm. And they would have famous people there or influential people there. And I would be having conversations with, say, like the mayor of Gilbert or something like that and realizing like, I'm just as smart as this person. Mm. Like, I'm just as talented as this person. Like, I could actually be the mayor of this city, you know? And I started having experiences like that where I was like, oh, well, I'm, you know, they live next door to a a gentleman who started a a pretty significant security company. And I'm having conversations with them. And I'm like, oh, like, I could do that, you know? And so it was my first awareness that being poor didn't mean that you were dumb. Right. Mm. Like being like not going to school didn't mean that you were dumb. It, 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 you know, that's very possible. And we're discovering that now in much different ways where there's a lot of talented people out there that just don't have those formalized experiences. So that became like my awareness of like, oh, there's other opportunities here and I can be one of these people in this room uh, just as much as they are. So that completely shifted who I was and who I became. And, you know, I kind of went through this process of purging friendships that really weren't valuable to me and uh, living, you know, moving to a different area of town and, you know, really like reshaping and reforming my entire future. So I, I feel incredibly fortunate that I had those experiences at 19, 20, 21, right in that little three-year period where I became an entirely different human being. Did almost you, overnight in those years. Did you th- feel like, and maybe even before that, that you were different, that you like looked at the world yeah. differently? Yeah, because I had always been super active and super competitive and super ambitious, but never in the ways that people around me wanted me to be. You know, so I couldn't sit still in class. I, I didn't want to study these textbooks, but I was always like learning things and exploring things and making things and trying things. Uh, It just wasn't in a formalized classroom. It wasn't in a setting, you know, I I was just so disruptive Mm -hmm. and to, to the, to the, you know, sit down, shut up and, and listen to the person in the front of the room situation. 
but it wasn't like I wasn't, you know, trying things or learning things or exploring things. It was just, I wanted to do it in the real world. I, I wanted to be out learning with my hands and trying to build things and make things and break things and fix them. So I had a lot of those types of experiences where people were like, you know, you're being disruptive, you're being loud, uh, you need to be, you need to listen and learn this thing. And I'm like, why do, you know, and I did a lot of challenging, like, why do I need to learn this? What, what is this going to do for my life? You know, and, and of course, when you're young, people don't like that. <laughs> so I had a lot of those experiences early on in my childhood that ended up being considered disruptive experiences. So when I got this job and I started working for this husband and wife that were letting me try things and explore things, I was like, you know, this is heaven. Like, I think I have ideas in my head that will work. I just need somebody to let me try it. Yeah. And I think that's that little moment of like giving you the opportunity to do that is interesting. Like I created that opportunity for myself, whereas that opportunity, I mean, you kind of created it for yourself, but you also had people that said like, hey, you know, let's do something else. But the reason why I asked you if you always felt like you were different, because I for as long as I can remember, I always felt different, but from a different perspective of you where I just challenged like these ideals and norms similarly to you, but I never did anything with it. So mm -hmm. I was kind of like a creative shut in kid. Uh, you know, I was active as you know, most kids are, especially kids like, who grew up in the eighties and nineties. I don't know how it is nowadays. What are kids doing <laughs> these days? Shaking my I cane. Don't know. Uh, but I do remember that job, leaving that job at the ATP that really opened me up to all these things that you're now talking about that you kind of learned of, Oh, mm -hmm. I can be in the same room as these people. I can have these same conversations. Um, and it, I don't think it was necessarily around that time, but I think about that Steve Jobs quote all the time, which is like, you look at the world around you and mm -hmm. everything that's created is created by people who are just as smart as you are. Mm -hmm. And, and obviously there are people who are like astrophysicists and whatever sure. who are way smarter than we are, but the majority of people who are creating the majority of things, are just as smart as we are. And, and it doesn't necessarily mean you have to go to college, you have to do any of that stuff. And and yeah, I do think that that's, it's such a powerful thing to actually take control of that and to then put it in a direction, right? And I think- That's right. For, for you and I, we've really done that at different moments in our life. And I think a lot of people maybe listening to this have, have done that or are wanting to do that or what have you. And that is- that's like one of the biggest things that you just can't teach someone is having no. the initiative and the understanding of, okay, this is going to be different or this is going to be outside of what all of my friends are doing, but I feel like I have to do this right. or I have to right. put my energy toward this. Well, and that's what you learn through entrepreneurship is, you know, you get to find out who you really are. And then you also learn that it's, it's all on you, right? Mm -hmm. you, you know, like you, that paycheck's not going to necessarily be there. So you have to figure things out. So, and, you know, when I, when I had this job, uh, you know, which I would consider, you know, I had other jobs, of course, before that, you know, from age 16 to 19, but that was my first job where I kind of became a responsible adult. Mm. And uh, they kept putting, what was nice for me is they kept putting me in positions where I had to make decisions or they would ask me my opinion of decisions. And it was really important things that help me figure out how to navigate life, right? So they would be like, hey, we're considering getting a bank loan. We want you to come with us to the bank. 
So this is like, you know, the first time I'm sitting down with bankers and they're talking about how you get a business loan and why they would give you one and how much they would give you and for what. And, you know, I'm doing that at the age of 20 and I'm, you know, taking this all in and understanding, okay, so these are options on the table that I didn't know existed before, you know, or when we needed to move into a larger building, they would have me go with the real estate broker and them to look at different buildings. And then I would look over the leases, right? And they would be like, do you understand the difference between a gross lease and a triple net lease? And do you understand why that's important to the landlord or why that's important to the tenant? So I'm learning kind of a lot of, you know, why I think I'm here with you now, which is all these very tactile things, you know, Mm -hmm. about how things work and how they're run. And I, you know, at the time, of course, I have no idea, you know, now looking back, 20 years later, I realized how important those experiences really were and how fortunate I was that I didn't have to wing it on those things, right? Like this was all on their backs, not on my back. I'm just along for the ride. So I get to learn all these things that I'm later going to use myself. And I get to learn from their perspective about why I should or shouldn't do things. And then I get to start shaping my own perspective. So I had an unusual, what I would consider to be a pretty unusual experience in that I had people that were kind enough um, to kind of take me along for that ride. So I didn't have to learn all that stuff my first time out. You know, Mm. when I started my first business, I had already knew a lot of that stuff and in real world scenarios, right? Like not in a book, not, you know, I wasn't learning just in time uh, manufacturing. I was doing just in time manufacturing, right? So there's a big difference between just understanding the concept and actually doing it in the real world. And I had those fortunate experiences early on. Which is a beautiful segue into I then started a business where I learned all of this just in time and it really was awful. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, no, I mean, I, I, I laugh, but it has actually it's such an important time in my life. And, and so for me, that was my I Wear Your Shirt business where I was working at this design company with my buddy owning this design company and I was kind of marketing and sales with it. And we were getting, uh, you know, our handful of clients were asking us about social media. So this is around 2007-ish, And I was not really on any of these platforms, Twitter and Facebook specifically, uh, but they were asking, you know, these, these were very forward thinking clients that we had looking back. I'm like, wow, these, these people really were, they were on it. They were looking around Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. I started to look at these things and I was like, man, this is really interesting. And so cobbled this crazy idea together of, all right, there are people who do advertising on billboards and TV and radio and all this other stuff, but no one's really doing it on social media. And I actually really liked the idea of, could I be a human that was talking about businesses in a human way and not just someone who is just, you know, spitting ads? Um, Mm -hmm. And we see this today as influencer marketing. Like this is an incredibly prevalent thing that a lot of people are- Yeah, you were like the first influencer marketer. Yeah, and I have to give a lot of credit to iJustine at the time, who was also, mm. she was yeah. more of like a just a tech reviewer. Like she just liked tech and she was filming YouTube videos and she was incredibly early on this. Uh, but I saw an opportunity of, no, I want to make a business. Like I, did, I don't mm-hmm. want just be, to be like a person who's recording videos and talking about gear. Although looking back, maybe that would have been the better way to go. I would have mm-hmm. maybe saved myself a lot of trouble, but I learned so many lessons that I wouldn't change. And so- 
you know, I kicked off this project and it had this kind of weird pricing where it was a dollar on the first day on January 1st of 2009 and $2 on the second day, $3 on the third day. And I had all these conversations with people leading up to this. And, and I'm not sure if you had this um, in the maybe the business after this first business you were with, but I had so many people challenging me, projecting their own fears about this business going, mm-hmm. oh, you know, why are you leaving this design company that you're doing really well with? And, you know, why would you put yourself out there like this? This is so weird. And no one's done anything like this. You know, And, and, and I could just tell that they were all afraid if they were to do this, mm-hmm. but I wasn't afraid. I saw it as kind of like this next move for me where I could steer the ship. I could make all the decisions. I could put in all the time and get a hundred percent of the return, as opposed to you know what was fifty percent with a with another uh, business right. owner. And it was an amazing ride. I mean, that business lasted five years. It went from just myself in the first year to two people in the second year, all the way up to eight people in the fifth year. And I learned an unbelievable amount of lessons just in time manufacturing along the way, mm-hmm. many of which were not understanding really how to manage money. Uh, And not that I like poorly managed it. I just, I didn't understand expenses and revenues and getting people to pay on time and how that can influence your business. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it sounds silly to to say things like, oh, I should have built up a cash buffer more and, and paid myself less of a salary. But if you've never done this stuff before and you've never had a interesting amount of money coming in at different times, it can be mm-hmm. very difficult to look a little bit further down the road and be smart and go, okay, something might go wrong in six months. I should probably keep, you know, $5,000 of this money in a separate account or whatever. Uh, and and so that was, it, that was all trial by fire for me for five years of that business. It was amazing because it showed me all of the possibilities in the world that I created for myself and that no one, mm-hmm. no one helped me get on the Today Show I did that just through showing up constantly, being consistent. You know, I I kind of have this uh, badge of honor for myself. I worked 889 days straight. And when I say that, I don't mean like, oh, I flipped on my laptop and I did some emails. No, I recorded a YouTube video. I hosted a live video show. I answered sales emails. I posted on social media sites, took photos, did marketing for the business, did PR for the business. Like I did everything for that amount of time straight. Now that did lead to burnout, which is not good. But I will say that that amount of time and effort that I put in, it's going to continue to reward me forever because of Mm -hmm. the consistency that I put in, the authenticity in the way that I showed up and people that I still have relationships with, customers that still buy things from me from 2009 um, because I was just there and I was a real person. And and so I learned much like you um, in just a very different way that I I was in control of all of these things. You know, like I could have the meetings with the bankers and I could have all of these decisions and I could go look at offices. And, and at one point I looked at getting funding and had an offer sheet for, you know, valuing the Irish shirt business at a million dollar business and getting some funding for it. And it didn't end up panning out, which is probably one of the best things that ever happened to me because I would probably still be in debt to that. Uh, but mm-hmm. yeah, it was just, it was a crazy journey that, I think really for me was all of the lessons I could have learned in entrepreneurship packed in five years and I'll continue to learn obviously, but really like some eye opening experiences. Well, yeah. And that, that trial by fire, you know, really threw you in the mix where I, I always like to put it where there's a big difference between knowing about something and knowing something, mm-hmm. right? So, so when you read something, you're knowing about it, 
when you're doing something, you know it Mm because you have to learn it. You have to actually, you know, fix things and change things and rearrange things. So that gave you those experiences where you got to really know what it was like to do those things. And I think that's one of the biggest differences between you and I is, I mean, there's, there's several things that we, uh, can relate to each other with, but there's also some pretty significant differences. And that's one of them, which is you love to experiment and you um, have no fear doing that. I don't either. I just don't have that creativity. I just don't. And so for me, a lot of my business life um, is about building assets and it's about doing things that I think are going to build on, you know, uh, they're going to help me accomplish my personal goals rather than me exploring something creative that I've come up with. And I think that's a, a big difference between you and I, and that's kind of, you know, how my career started. So I, I work at this transcription company. I learned the ropes about how to run a business, how to hire people, how to, you know, do all the things you do in a business. And my boss always used to want, wanted me to read books and I hated reading books. (laughs) Just, I could not stand the idea. I just always wanted to be active. You know, I wanted to play sports. I wanted to be doing things. I wanted to be going places and reading books seems so boring to me. We definitely had Uh, that in common. I didn't pick up, I didn't read a nonfiction book until I was like 33. No joke. Yeah. So, so I had gone a really long time where he would bring me books and he would put them into my office. He would never say anything. He would never harp on me about it or anything, but he would just keep bringing me books and they would literally just stack up in the corner and I would just toss them on top of each other and they were just stacking up. Right. Mm -hmm. So eventually I decided to pull a book off there for some reason and I decided to read it. And I read, uh, I think it was, um, the greatest salesman in the world or something like that. It's one of those little books oh, by yeah. Og, Og Mandino, I think was the author. Um, a little tiny book, you know, wasn't very long. And I read it and I was like, oh, this is kind of interesting. And so then I got into it, you know, and then I threw myself into books suddenly. And I was just reading nonfiction books like crazy in my early 20s. Every book that you can, you know, every book that you can imagine that people talk about now, um, you know, all those popular sales books, management books, you know, whatever it was, I was just devouring it. And that was really good for me because it, it gave me a new perspective on how to think about things. And I didn't understand the value in books is not the knowledge. It's, it's mostly about how do you think about it, right? Now that you have that knowledge, what do you think about it? And that gave me a shift in perspective. And I remember one day my boss came in and he was like, you know, I've been reading this book. I just finished it. And he's like, I really don't want to give this one to you, but I feel <laughs> like you need to read it. So I took the book home and I, over the next two weeks, I read the book and I came back in and I said, yeah, that one you didn't want to give to me. (laughs) And it was the book Rich Dad, Poor Dad Mm. um, by Robert Kiyosaki. And what was interesting about me reading that book is, is I read it right at the right time, which is a lot about reading books. It's if you read them at the right time for you, it's a completely different shift versus just, oh, another book. And I read that book and I thought to myself, you know, I, I don't think I'm cut out to be an employee. I've never been good at sitting there, you know, listening to instruction and following the rules and all that. And I think I have it in me to do my own thing. And in reading that book, it solidified that for me. So that was, I think, let's see, so that was when I was 22 
And I said to myself, you know, I got to try this on my own. I got to do my own thing. So I went into my boss's office and it was like, uh, you know, I think I'm ready to go out on my own. And he was like, boy, I've been waiting for this day to come. (laughs) I anticipated you would come into my office and say that someday. I just expected it to be two years ago. Yeah, that's really funny. We We have that in common because when I was at the ATP, my boss that I was, you know, really close with for three and a half years, when I finally came in and gave him my two weeks notice, he was like, I actually saw this coming like two years ago, but it, <laughs> yeah. you know, and, and it was really interesting that other people already saw that in us, but exactly. we, we didn't have either the knowledge, like you said, or even that, that spark or we the idea. It's a lot of times it can be the idea too, because just quitting sure. for the sake of quitting. But uh, anyway, I, that's a really interesting little uh, time. Well, and had. that's exactly what happened to me because when I went and I told him that he, the very next question was, what are you going to do? Mm-hmm. And I was like, I have no idea. Mm. I don't have an idea. I don't know. And he said, well, I tell you what, why don't you research a couple of different businesses? I'll uh, put up the cash and then you can own a percentage of the business so that you can, you know, mitigate your risk somewhat. And that seemed like, you know, the world's greatest gift to me where somebody is like, listen, I'll back you um, and, and let's see if you can make this happen. And that became uh, uh, my first exper- experience with essentially running my own business. So I started a small voice processing company um, doing voicemail, uh, text to email, fax services. Um, so it kind of was my first foray into tech. And then my my first business, essentially, uh, where I'm running the show, I'm making all the decisions, I'm getting all the customers and clients, um, and and learning a whole different, you know, swath of skills that I wasn't really doing a ton of uh, before that. So for me, I didn't again, like I I start my first business, and that's not even trial by fire, right? So yeah. I have some backing, I have some some people that are supporting me in ways, but it was definitely, you know, now you got to learn all these sets of skills, and now you got to figure out how to gain clients, and now you got to figure out when's the appropriate time to hire somebody, the first person, you know, and all those sorts of things. So now I'm, you know, well on my way. Uh, so so my risk taking is is not i don't think what people think mm-hmm. it is you know with me like i don't just i don't believe in that concept of you know jump off jump off the cliff and build the parachute on the way down i'm i'm much more conservative about uh, my business career uh, than that it's just that you do have to take a lot of chances and risks no matter what you're doing uh, it's just a, for me it was less about oh i have this idea i want to see if it'll work it was more I want to build the lifestyle I want to build. Business is a way to accomplish that. Where where am I good in business and who do I need with me out for the ride who compliments me? And that's, I think, a big difference between you and I. Yeah, and it's actually, I think, one of the things that, uh, and we'll get to this part of the story, I think, next is, or, or maybe close to it, is when I listened to your talk at Misfit, uh, the conference in Fargo where we initially met, Mm-hmm. I saw in you kind of the some of the uniqueness, especially because of the project that you were talking about, which was crazy uh, and mm-hmm. unique, and it was creative, and it was kind of you know it was risky in a sense. But um, I saw in you the things that I was missing. So like the the asset building businesses, mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. just that like calculated way of thinking, not taking as much risk. Whereas I was the opposite. I was 
I wasn't even building the parachute on the way down. I was building the backpack to hold the parachute. Like I wasn't even, <laughs> I didn't even have the, oh, oh yeah, parachute. Right. That's probably a good idea. I should probably put that in this bag. <laughs> but right, I do want right. to touch on the books thing for a second because I, yeah. I, we've never really talked about that idea specifically. But I think this is a really interesting topic and, and I'm sure we could do a full uh, episode on some of the books that were the biggest influences on us and, and maybe continue sure. to be. But you and I both read books after we were already doing the thing. And I yes. think that's a really interesting takeaway in that a lot of people read the books before they do the thing, hoping the books will help them yeah. do the thing. No. And yeah. so while I did read Purple Cow and that was like the catalyst for me, I did not pick up another nonfiction book for like seven years after that. And I didn't even read all of Purple Cow. I read like the first chapter and that was enough. I closed the book. I was probably also bored, but I was like, I got it. Like this was <laughs> enough for me. But I didn't right. start reading other nonfiction books until I felt like, oh, this is a need that I want to fill in business or in something. I, I should probably read from someone else who's done this and to learn That's from right. them. As opposed to what I think so many people do. And it's not that there's anything wrong with this. I don't, I don't want to say that people are doing it wrong. But people read all these nonfiction books hoping that one of them is going to give them the answer or yes, the blueprint yes. or the roadmap. And unfortunately, in entrepreneurship and owning your own business, you have to build that yourself. And then you use books as little plot points along that way to go, oh, I'm at a stumbling block. How do I get over this? Oh, this that's person's right. done this. I can now consume this and learn and, and do that. I think that's an incredible shift for for you and I that we just naturally came upon, but a lot of people kind of live in a different world when it comes to reading. Yeah, no, that's I think that's 100% true and that goes back to the the thing I'm always talking about, the difference between knowing about and knowing because yep. I think you can get trapped in the knowing about, you know, and and you and I both know a lot of people that know about a lot of things, but they don't know those things because they haven't yep. done those things. And they you're they're trying to prepare themselves and they're trying to learn as much as they can, but there's no amount of preparation and no amount of learning that will replace the doing. Mm -hmm. And, and because of that, no book is going to be, you know, the secret sauce for you. It's really, you know, I, I've, I've come to learn to utilize books for moments in time, you know, just yep. like you're describing where it's like, you know, I need to get a little bit better at at uh, how to sell over the phone. Is there a book that might give me some insight into that? Mm -hmm. Or I, I need to understand how to market online a little bit better. Is there a book or a blog or something that might help me understand that a little bit better? You know, so so I tend to use books from a particular need standpoint, um, outside of the books I'm reading that just I want to read because I think they're going to be interesting, I use it more as a tactile thing um, at the time of need instead of trying to gather up all this knowledge ahead of time before I do something. It's in the moment while I'm doing it, then I try to use those as tools. And I think that, you know, maybe that's just kind of how it worked out for me early on. Uh, but man, I'm glad I, I'm glad it worked out that way because I was already in the trenches and, and I didn't rely on books to try to find an answer to something. Yeah. Yeah. And I do think that's also part of the, the mindset of an entrepreneur, like a true entrepreneur, someone who not a wantrepreneur is, as all of us have heard that phrase is that the people who do the thing 
they don't need permission or they don't need a specific blueprint or roadmap. Like they want some mm-hmm. shortcuts. Sure. Like I don't want to have to learn how to do sales on the phone by myself over the course of 10 years. I'd rather, you know, learn that quicker. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think that mindset is, is very different. Okay. So I want to keep this going because yep. I mean, we probably do have a lot of other timeline stuff to cover and, uh, you know, want to at least be somewhat courteous of people's ears as they listen to this. Uh, so I want to bring up Tea Tree because it was 2004. 13 when I went to Misfit and I can't remember, did we meet it? I think we met at that Misfit in 2013. I don't remember which one. It was the first one. Yeah. I think it was the first one. I think it was 2013. And so I met you there, but I also met a guy named Gerlando who I -hmm. I gave my talk. Gerlando came up to me afterwards and he was just like this quiet guy and really friendly and was just like, Hey, like I really appreciate the stuff that you've done. And if you ever have any like other projects you want to work on, um, you know, I'm a developer and maybe I can help out. And that conversation kind of stuck with me for a year until the next misfit where Gerlando, uh, I, you know, we kind of kept in touch just a little bit via email and whatnot, but we chatted at the next misfit and that was where Tea Tree was born. Um, and it actually wasn't called Tea Tree at the time, but I had told him that I, during that previous year, um, you know, my Irie shirt business had, had kind of closed down. I'd walked away from it. it. I was completely burnt out on that. And I was trying to figure out what I was going to do next. And through some serendipity, literally in an email with someone, uh, they asked me like, Hey, could you teach me how to get sponsorships? Like you, you clearly have done it at the time. I'd gotten like 1600 total sponsors through my shirt business and a bunch of other things. So I had definitely learned some processes that I could repeat, but I didn't even know that at the time. Like they just felt second nature to me. And so I, I sat down, I was like, okay, how would I teach someone, you know, what I've done? Like what could apply to anybody that's not just mm-hmm. to like wearing t-shirts or, you know, getting a sponsored road trip or whatever. And so I, I, I kind of cobbled these ideas together in a Google doc. And then I was trying to figure out, all right, how do I disseminate this information to another person, let alone many other people, if that's going to be a thing. And that's where I fell into just learning about online courses and going, oh, this is interesting. But this is this is 2014, 2013 to 14 of online courses. There were only a couple different platforms, mm-hmm. one of which I remember was called Pathright, and it may still exist. But I remember I looked at it and it charged you by every student that signed up. So Mm -hmm. they basically said, we're going to penalize you for having a popular course. Like we're going to make more more money as you make more money. And I just remember that rubbing me the wrong way completely. Also because I was smart enough at the time to know it doesn't cost you any more resources to have another line in the database. Like that's a very simple thing. Like you guys are just gouging people for money. Mm -hmm. And so I emailed a a guy that I knew who built WordPress sites. I think he'd helped me build another site. And I was like, hey, I have this idea for an online course. I really quickly hopped in Photoshop. I gave myself like, two hours to just design what I thought an online course could look like. And could you build this into a WordPress site? And maybe I could just give people access to that site as, you know, this was my cobbled together version. And he did. It cost me 2000 bucks total. Uh, I was super happy with the outcome of it. I sent it to a couple friends afterwards. And when I sent it to them, <laughs> I think you'll love this and you may know this already, but I sent it to them and I said, hey, will you tell me how you feel about this, this sponsorship knowledge I'm trying to teach? Does it resonate? And to a T, Every single person wrote back. I think it was about 10 people. And they all said, yeah, the information's great. What platform is this? This looks really cool. Can I use this to teach an online course? (laughs) And that was a spark where I went, oh, I could actually do something more with just helping people, helping other people teach their thing. And mm. so when I came back to Misfit that that next year, I talked to Gerlando about building Tea Tree as a software 
and this is what's known as SaaS in uh, in kind of this world, software as a service that anybody could sign up for as a monthly fee. They could build their own courses, manage their own students. And from 2014 until even today, that business has existed. And I just thought that was kind of a funny aside that when we first met at Misfit was also when the seed was planted for Tea Tree, the side business, Yeah, which is going to be a recurring thing we talk about on every episode as we move forward in this podcast outside of the about episode here. Um, but I do want to circle back to um, how we met and if there's anything you want to fill the gaps between your first business that you owned a small percentage of and kind of dipped your toes yeah. in the water to then probably the story that led you to getting to Misfit. Well, so the challenging part about my life for people is it, it's so, there's so much packed in there, yeah. right? So, so, uh, and I'll give you the very short version of this, which is, uh, you know, I, shortly after I started that first business, um, I was diagnosed with a life-threatening kidney illness. So that gave me a whole new perspective, right? So now here I am, you know, at the age of 25, just a couple of years later, uh, with this life-threatening illness, doctors are saying, you know, you've got to get a kidney transplant to live, um, and now I'm learning all about the difference between uh, being a solopreneur and building a business, right? Where there's people that do the work for you or you're the only person to do the work. Mm. So I'm learning some tough lessons about, well, if I can't physically work, this thing can't go, right? And there's a, there's a, a book called The Cash Flow Quadrant, actually written by Robert Kiyosaki that helped me put this in perspective for myself where he, he essentially says, you know, there's four ways to make money. There's, you can be an employee, you can be self-employed, which is basically what solopreneurs are. You can run a business or you can be an investor. And he says, you know, you want to be on the quadrant side of running businesses and being an investor. You want to be careful about being on the other side where you're either an employee or you're self-employed. And so my first business was actually self-employed. It wasn't a business. And I think that's an important concept because you start to learn that when you're self-employed, you are capped by you, right? Your time, your energy, your health, that's your limitation. When you actually build a business that goes beyond you, there are no limits. And that was a big life lesson for me to learn because suddenly I found myself in the hospital and, uh, survive, you know, this was survival mode for me and the business didn't mean shit at that point. Yeah. Right. So, so, um, I sold, you know, I, I, uh, my, my business partner, investor, um, uh, previous mentor took that over and I stepped away. So I basically just took care of myself. Um, at that point. And that was a pretty, you know, drastic change in my life. I, I was doing very well for myself. I was, you know, enjoying my life to the nth degree. Um, but then I had to move back in with my parents. I was bedridden, sleeping 16 hours a day, mm. uh, could hardly get out of bed, couldn't use the bathroom by myself. You know, it was kind of a-, a And you were 25? 25. Yeah. Jeez. <clears throat> so it was a big change in talk my about, life. Talk right? about a check to your ego, right? Like that's the time oh, I yeah. remember, like yeah. I felt invincible at 20. I mean, I still feel oh, invincible, yeah, like yeah. except for my knees, like I, you know, it's, but that, that is, that's crazy. I did <laughs> yeah. want to ask you because I think this is going to be something that we talk about often in the show. Was there, um, and this is obviously f feel free to say or not say, you can just be like, oh, I don't want to talk about it. But 
Um, did you have a buyout from that? Because you had a percentage ownership. So did he buy you completely out and yeah. you got like a lump sum when you walked away? Uh, not exactly. So the way that that worked is um, it, it kind of it kind of just like I just kind of slowly phased out. Okay. So so I turned over responsibilities and everything else. Um, ended up bringing on somebody else that kind of took over the things I was doing at some point. Um, and I just kind of phased out. So okay. I didn't really have a buyout, um, which is also different lessons that I've learned, right? Mm-hmm. Different lessons that like, if you've created value, you really need to extract that value out of that situation. Yep. And there's been plenty of situations and you, I think have run into this too, where I haven't really extracted the value at and, and looking back, you know, that cost me. Right. Yeah. That I just didn't know at the time that I had something of value and I could have negotiated differently um, in those situations. But anyway, so I, I it's all about survival. I thankfully get a kidney transplant um, and recover from that scenario. But then I had to financially recover mm. from that scenario. I had to spend basically all the savings that I had um, on my survival and I had no income coming in, no source of income coming in. So one of the big uh, differences for my career at that point, it was, was, you know, at the crossroads was I'm going to make sure that I have money coming in, whether I earn it or not. So I don't have to physically do something for that money to come in. That was the biggest shift that I had made at that point in my career where I was going to build assets that spun off money for me, whether I was physically doing something or not. Um, And that's hard to do. um, And we'll get into that, I'm sure, in future episodes. But that became kind of a central focus point for me. So uh, moving from there, I got into, uh, you know, I kind of got back on my feet. I actually took a couple of jobs, got back on my feet and tried to figure out, okay, what's my next move here? And my next move was to get into real estate. And I got into residential uh, real estate, mostly um, uh, single family homes, and then got into apartment buildings, owning apartment buildings, investing in apartment buildings. That turned into investing into commercial properties, um, mostly retail and office properties. Um, and then that turned into buying businesses, more like private equity. So I learned how to evaluate businesses and purchase them that they were already running. And a lot of those were in distress in some mm. way that could be modified and then uh, have a really good cash flow or really good value after modifying them. So that became the next several years of my life before I started the project that you were talking about, yep. which was $10 and a laptop. So I got burned out. Um, after working on all these businesses and much like you, I thought it was a badge of honor to put in so Mm. much time and effort. Um, I had business partners that wanted to build huge things and, you know, be really quote unquote successful. And I got to, to a stage where I was like, you know, I think the world is actually changing. And the book that helped me realize that was Tim Ferriss's um, book, The 4-Hour Workweek. And what it, you know, there's a lot to be said about The 4-Hour Workweek. And there's a lot to be said that I don't like about that kind of philosophy and concept. But the thing I learned from that book was that the wealthy, the, 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 the definition of wealth was changing. And it was no longer about collecting assets and no longer about collecting stuff, 
And it was more about being versatile and nimble in a world that was uh, rapidly changing and in a world in which permanence was diminishing at a rate that we had never seen before. And so that book kind of helped me take a step back and say, do I really want to be putting in all this effort and all this work and this is all I do with my life? Um, and so long story short, I ended up essentially, you know, moving on from my, uh, a business that I had with four other partners, um, where we were building some pretty big assets. And, um, instead I took a little time off to, to think about what I was going to do next. And what that turned into was a project where I was going to travel around the country in the U.S. helping small business owners get their ideas off the ground. The economy at this point, this is like 2008, 2009, 2010, the economy's tanking. People don't know what to do. A lot of people are losing their jobs. I saw that as an opportunity for mm-hmm. people. All the people who had an idea in their head uh, and never took advantage of it, because they were in circumstances that were good enough that they didn't want to take those risks, right? They had a good enough paying job. They lived in a good enough area. The economy was good enough. So they never took those risks. Well, now they have nothing to lose. Now they've lost their jobs. They've lost their homes, right? So I saw that instead of them panicking, I wanted them to think, you know, don't panic about this. This is actually your opportunity. And, you know, I met, you know, I helped 536 business owners launch their businesses around the country, traveling to all 50 states, which we can get into that project later. But yeah, essentially, I, just, I just made a note for anybody listening who is like, hold on a second, hold on a second. Uh, we're going to do a full episode on $10 on a laptop. Also, yeah, be because I, th- I think be- it would be fun. I don't think you've ever recorded a full conversation about it. No, and, I haven't. Yeah. So that's, yeah. that's Hot t- it's going to be a hot exclusive here on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah. But that was such a good experience for me because it was not about me, right? So it was kind of the first time in my life where every decision I was making was about how could I help someone else and how could I get them to see what I see in my own head, right? So like I, I still find this today and I know you do. Um, I meet a lot of people uh, or even family members or whatever, and they'll tell me something. And and the th- words that come out of my mouth are a, a perspective they had never thought about, mm-hmm. right? And it's often a positive perspective on something that they think is negative. And that's just kind of how I've conditioned myself over years and years and years of of this kind of work. And that's how it was when I was traveling around the country. I mean, I was meeting people in Moore, Oklahoma or, um, you know, Bellevue, Washington or, um, you know, places in West Virginia or Bellingham, uh, Vermont or, you know, wherever I'm traveling everywhere. Right. And meeting all these people who are panicked. And I'm like, no, no, no. This is like this is a goldmine. Like you have a good idea. I wish I had that idea. You know, I don't have that idea. You have it. I can show you how to get it started. And that became a super fun project, which led me to speaking at the Misfit Conference where you and I first met in person. So that kind of catches us up to that point. Yeah, which I, oh man. Well, so like I said, we're going to do a full episode on $10 on a laptop because we didn't even talk about the $10 on a laptop part of it. No, like that, we didn't. That, no. there's, there's so much there. So everyone right. can look forward to that. Again, I mean, we could, there's so many stories I think we'll get into, which is, which is actually really fun for me because we've had these conversations for years now since that that uh, 
that MisfitCon. And I don't know what your experience was there. I think it would be fun to dive into this before maybe we kind of shut this this about episode down and move on. Um, sure. Is I listened to your story, and I think you spoke before I did. I can't remember. It doesn't no, really matter. No, I spoke last. I you was spoke the very last. last person to go. Okay. So I remember listening to your story and just thinking to myself, like, is this, are we related? Like, do, are we brothers mm-hmm. from another mother? Mm-hmm. Like, is there an alternate dimension where we grew up together some way? And because there were, <laughs> there's so many similarities. There's so many right. ways that we look at the world. Um, there's so many things that we just like have the same perspective on. There's places where we obviously differ. Um, sure. But I think that I, at the end of that, and like many people are like, oh, I just have to go up and say hello to this person. But for me, I was like, oh no, I have to go up and like befriend this person because <laughs> Caroline tells me all the time, who's my wife, who will, you know, we'll probably hear talk about, um, you know, in, in this show a bunch, you know, she, she just tells me all the time. She's like, you know, you're such a unique person. Like it's very rare to find someone who can relate mm-hmm. to you. And when I heard your story and then went up to you afterwards, I mean, I felt almost like I was like, all right, man, uh, that was a great talk. Now we, you have to be in my life, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and mm-hmm. it was a weird thing as, as just as another person to see someone else that you're like, oh my gosh, like we, we just have so much in common. And also it was very relatable. Like at the end of your story, it wasn't, oh, and now I'm a billionaire and I live on an island with a yacht and, you know, I just come (laughs) out like every, you know, three times a year. I leave, I leave that existence. Um, Mm -hmm. And, and so that, that was really interesting, but I want to mention MisfitCon in general because it has been, or it was because it doesn't exist anymore, but it was such a different experience for me. And it really opened me up to so much in life. I mean, it introduced me to minimalism, which I had just never really thought about the idea of looking at everything in your life and asking the question, does this bring me value? As opposed to just, mm-hmm. oh, everyone has these things or does these things, I should do these things. Um, then also just like your way of thinking about trying to help more entrepreneurs. I mean, that was that was a really pivotal point for me when I heard that story of how helpful you were of, mm-hmm. I was already doing that just by nature and being helpful to people and trying to offer advice when they would email me or whatever, but then actually making that a kind of a core tenant of things that I try and do, whether it's through customer service or just through people who email or whatever, is just trying to be as helpful as possible. And mm-hmm. and I don't think I've ever said no to a podcast interview of any size because I've always just wanted to go, you know, I know what it's like to be on the other side of that and how influential right. it can be if someone does say yes to you and gives you permission. Right. Um, yeah. So I just wanted to kind of touch on the power of that. And then I think it's funny that you have some ties to Fargo or used to, or, well, no, mm-hmm. you still do. And we're going to talk about do. one, uh, yeah. which I think is fun as a business. Um, but yeah, I'm not sure if, if you have any perspective shifts from Misfit, if it was any different to you at all, or if it was just like, you'd been well, doing a whole it bunch was, of stuff. And I'll tell you how it was different for me. So, so from the kind of personal development side, it wasn't that significant to me, only that I had been doing that kind of stuff for a really long time. Yeah. So I feel fortunate about that. I feel fortunate that in my early 20s, I did an incredible amount of work on myself, right? Like understanding who I am, what I care about, what's important to me, who do I want my friends to be, who are kind of the energy vampires of my life that I need to get rid of. Um, You know, what do I care about? Where are my goals? You know, so I feel super fortunate because most people just don't have those experiences in their 20s. On top of that, I had a life-threatening 
illness in my 20s that gave me a different perspective on the value of life and the preciousness of every day and the importance of going after your dreams and not waiting for your bucket list. And, you know, so so I, I actually feel like I have a rare experience early enough that shaped the rest of my life, right? So from that perspective, I, I felt very fortunate. And getting to Misfit was I could see that awareness happening for people in the room, which was awesome, right? Like they were having that experience for the first time in their lives. What I was having was, here's a group of people that I didn't really know existed, the the speakers mainly, Mm -hmm. that I didn't really know existed, that is where our world is headed, right? So this little tiny room in Fargo, North Dakota could not be any more forward thinking Right. And any more understanding of where the world is headed and what's important to know and how to know it. And that was the big shift for me, because as you and I will talk about over the course of this podcast uh, is is our significant differences um, in in how advanced you are about where the world is going from a technological standpoint and a, and a world of work standpoint and how ancient really I am of trying <laughs> to catch up to those things um, and keep that going. Because I think it's super important. You know, I, when I did my project traveling around, the thing I would say most often is Americans are beautifully equipped for a world that no longer exists, yep. right? So like there's all these Americans that are like, I have this degree, I've done this work, I've built this you know, these assets, I have this, uh, you know, house, whatever it is. And then we come to realize like the world changed on us all of a sudden. And no, those things don't matter as much as they used to matter. And where we've put our time and attention don't matter as much as they used to matter. And you guys like you and Pam Slim and AJ and like, you guys like just blew my mind. Like, oh, like these people are on top of it. They know where all this is headed. They know they're already doing this. You know, like you said, like you were already a, a, a social media influencer. You know, ten years ahead of when that term actually started to be uh, talked about. Right. So, like it, that blew my mind. And you, in particular, obviously, we kind of just hit it off right away and spent like the rest of the weekend together, and really kind of never looked back since, which is awesome. Um, but you know, we did have a lot in common from more of a personal perspective too. So that was fun to actually have somebody who kind of had shared similar life experiences as I did. Uh, but that, that was transformative to me because it, it, it made, forced me to challenge myself to catch up to where you guys were already at. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's. I, I think that it's like we talked about kind of in the beginning, there are those little moments, right, in life that are catalysts that create, and that's there's a little bit of a, a fun uh, aside there because we'll talk about, I believe, uh, we'll talk about catalysts at some point in this, mm-hmm. um, is that there are these things where it changes your entire trajectory. Like you see yourself on a certain path and that mm-hmm. path completely deviates. And maybe it was the path that you we're always going to end up on, but it like gets you there faster and it, it helps you make a big leap. And I think for so many people, you know, when I went to Misfit in 2013, my business was failing. I was in a hundred thousand dollars in business debt and I was miserable. I was out of shape. I was literally 45 pounds overweight, the highest I'd ever weighed in my life. I wasn't sleeping. I had to let go of employees. And on the outside, 
I was still having stories written about me that I was running this million dollar t-shirt business mm-hmm. and I couldn't do anything about that machine. Like I couldn't turn that machine off fast right, enough right. to to recover from it. And I just remember this was the first room that I felt comfortable enough besides being with my wife, Caroline, to, to say that, to share right, that, right. that moment and that vulnerability. And that actually became uh, just a huge mental shift for me moving forward of, oh, th- this is what authenticity is. It's not what a lot of people write about it in books or in blog posts or in podcast episodes. It's like, it's really being honest and, and, and just sharing the things that are actually going on and how you plan to change them or to at least be open to changing them. And that was, that was such a huge shift for me. And yeah, I'll never, I'll never be able to thank AJ and Melissa enough. AJ and Melissa Leon, who, who's put on the Misfit Conference, invited me to mm-hmm. come. They literally paid for my flight. They weren't paying for any speaker's flights. Um, I didn't have the money to, to pay for it. And I just kind of like broke down on stage and I didn't necessarily mm-hmm. break down, but I, for me, it was a breakdown. Um, well, you were just, just talking like a normal conversation from yeah. stage. You're yeah. just like, this is how it is. And, and this you, is what I'm going through. What's funny about that is that you're one of the few people who seen me talk at different times. And mm-hmm. so I think like two years later, somewhere around that time, we were in West Palm at an event mm-hmm. and you watched me give a talk. And I remember you afterwards, you're like, have you ever thought about doing stand up? And it's like, yeah. it's a whole, it's a whole different experience, right? right? The 2013 oh, totally me different. Yeah. was like, I just have to like release all of these thoughts and feelings yeah. and just like purge this information. It, probably in, for a lot of people, a helpful way because they see like, oh, wow, I'm going through some of this stuff too or whatever. And then a couple of years later, having gotten through all of that and worked through yeah. it, it's like right. you're a whole different person. But um, yeah. So where are you at now? Okay. So yeah, this is. I, th- I think there's probably, as you mentioned, there's a lot of stuff that we could fill in the gaps. So we may have sure, to do a, yeah. another episode on. Um, Absolutely. There's doing, tons of gaps here. Yeah. So I think what I want to focus on as we move forward with this, and it'll probably change, but uh, for me, it's going to be, I want to talk about moving the needle with three different businesses. And then I think we want to talk about moving the needle in life and how we're kind yeah. of doing that. Um, right. So for me, I want to talk about Wandering Aimfully. So Wandering Aimfully is a business that I co-run with my wife. Um, and it has evolved from this project that I started in 2015 called Buy My Future. Um, and I, I I don't know how much, I mean, I guess I can quickly go over that idea because it kind of leads into it. So in 2015, I was sitting on I think eight online courses at the time that I had created um, this tea tree software platform. I had a couple different other software ideas and I just felt like I was constantly selling all of the things and it was too much. I just didn't want to be always doing marketing and selling. And I decided, okay, what if I just packaged everything together in this idea? But then the twist was not, let's just create a bundle of things. Let's just say anything I get in the future, you would also get. So that was kind of the hook for people to buy. Um, and actually what I found, I, I went old school. You would be proud of me. I think you know that I did this, but I had 49 phone calls with people on my email list or people that were kind of following along as I was building this, this product project publicly or existing customers. And I told them about the idea and then I just listened. And mm. a lot of them repeated back phrases and words to me that I would then use on the sales page, which was really helpful just to hear how they mm. thought about this idea. But the thing that I heard probably over 50 to 60% of the calls that I had with people were that they were all asking for a community. They were like, oh, this is cool, but 
I just like, I hope I can talk to the other people who buy this because this is such mm. a unique thing that I think I'm going to have like alignment with these other people. And I was like, oh, hadn't really thought about that. That could be interesting. Um, so why that's important is that Buy My Future was sold three times, I think, two times. Then it changed to Buy Our Future. So Caroline and I combined all of our stuff, which is dangerous in an entrepreneurial yeah. relationship, but it works for us. And then in 2018, we decided to go one step further and she had her made vibrant business. I had my kind of Jason does stuff business where all of my things were. And we combined them because I really wanted something that was more of a meaningful thing for people to get behind. And Caroline already had that with Made Vibrant, but um, we we brought, came together and came up with Wandering Aimfully in the idea that we're always experimenting, we're always doing things, but we're also, like you mentioned, like we're forward thinking. Like we see now a couple steps down the road, um, and in some ways that's helpful. In some ways, it's not because it can be difficult to sell something that people can't quite wrap their head around. It's also some positioning stuff, which we'll talk about. But the idea is that Wandering Aimfully is that by my future that initial product with all the other things we built over the years and this community. Um, and now we're, we're really learning a year after launching that what works, what doesn't, what's the positioning of this, who really is the ideal customer? Because like anything with especially like an online membership community product, you have to speak directly to a customer. You can't mm -hmm. just go the it's for solopreneurs. It, it doesn't work. It doesn't, right. it doesn't attract enough people and it doesn't make them feel like it's enough for them. Um, so Wandering Aimfully uh, is is the main focus. And um, I think when we, in the first episode, we'll kind of go through more of like the numbers and stuff from that. Sure. Uh, so Teachery, uh, going to definitely talk about that. I, I mentioned a little bit of the story of that. Mm -hmm. So Teachery has been around now for five years almost, which is kind of cool. Um, I've never wow. once spent any time marketing or promoting it ever. And it's grown to, I think it's like $6,500 in monthly recurring revenue, which is not nice. a lot of money, but it's a good amount of money for never promoting something. That's just been mm -hmm. on word of mouth. So we're going right. to talk more about how we're shifting that. And then the one that I think could be really fun to talk about, you know, when we do these kind of biweekly uh, updates uh, is Better Branding Course. So that's actually one of Caroline's courses that we've kept in its own ecosystem. Like it has its own website. It has its own free email funnel thing. Um, it continues to sell on its own. And it's, I mean, almost nothing. It's like $500 a month. However, I want to see if we can take that side business, that little side hustle and build it up to be something more just by using Facebook ads. Um, because Facebook ads for me have always been this roller coaster ride of a journey. And I finally have decided, all right, I need to just give this to someone else who does this full time, but who's willing to kind of do all the variable work and all the different things. Cause we've talked about this before on, on our own calls separate of this podcast of like, it's just a crazy nightmare of things you can change. But can we get a, an engine going with Facebook ads that actually grows the revenue of this one course? Um, so I think it's going to be really fun to kind of watch that over the course of the next couple of weeks and months, um, to see what happens with that. And yeah, those will be, I think those will be my three things. And then, you know, we'll call it probably pepper in different projects, but that's, that's my main focus for now. How about yourself? Yeah, where I'm at right now is, you know, my, my path has remained the same, which is I'm trying to acquire assets or build assets um, or fix assets um, so that I can live the personal life that I want to live. Um, and I'm at a stage now where I don't want to be starting new businesses. 
Um, I want to be, I want to be building, uh, things that don't require all that kind of startup effort. So I'm more in a teaching phase now of my life. I believe finally, for the first time, I feel like I feel comfortable, uh, helping other people, um, with the lessons that I've learned outside of my consulting. So I would say my number one thing is consulting right now, but I want to get away from that at some point. But basically, I have a business called Three Times Great. That's my consulting agency. And the purpose of that is to help people move from the quadrant of self-employed to the quadrant of owning a business. These are mainly service professionals offline. So you can think of any service professional, whether that's a doctor, like a physician that owns a private practice, or that's a, um, you know, house cleaner, janitorial service, landscapers, all those types of businesses. I have a lot of experience with those businesses um, and a lot of experience on the business side, the operational side or the marketing and growth side on what to do with those businesses so that it gets them out of the routine where they're the only person making money in their business and they're uh, struggling to survive. So what I want to do is transition from doing the consulting I'm doing to actually having courses that teach that material to them. So my big transition over the next couple of years is to move out of the one-on-one consulting I'm doing to do one-to-many teaching, uh, mainly through online courses and guides um, that can do that, that are very niche specific to those industries. Um, secondly, from there, uh, I really want to get, uh, more heavily involved in, uh, real estate projects in particular, um, with office space, um, or other big commercial, uh, projects. So it's, we're going through an interesting transition in the marketplace with retail space because so much is moving online. And I'm curious to see where that's going to head in terms of those investments. So, you know, I want to talk a lot about my experience with real estate and how how I utilize it um, as an investment vehicle. Um, third, I, as you mentioned, still have ties to Fargo, North Dakota, where I'm an investor in a coffee shop and a coffee roasting com- company there. I want to see that continue to grow. Um, where our mainly on the uh, roasting side, where our coffee is served by other coffee shops and where our coffee is in restaurants and so forth, and really try to make a name for ourselves in the Midwest um, in particular, um, where coffee is not the same as it is on the coasts, you know, so I want to, I want to make a push there with young blood coffee. And then, um, I do have, uh, as you know, an ornaments business of all things, <laughs> I am which is going to so, be fun to talk about. I am so excited yeah. to talk about this, this damn oh, ornament God. business. Yeah. So I own an or, or, ornaments business called Only Ornaments, which has a whole backstory of how I ended up with 150,000 Christmas ornaments, uh, which we'll talk about later. But, uh, you know, I'm trying to trying to build that business mostly for my parents um, so that they have something to do now that they're in retirement and they have a way to continue to make money that doesn't just come from Social Security. that gives them some flexibility, um, you know, and, and an ability to have uh, spending money and things of that nature. Uh, but nonetheless, it's a fun business to work on from my perspective and just like creativity and, you know, figuring the whole thing out. And obviously it's so bizarre, uh, which I always love getting in the mix of incredibly bizarre things, but those are the things, you know, it's mostly about teaching and investing now, um, for me. And, uh, we can obviously dive into the specifics as we go forward. 
Yeah. So I, I think that's a really good, oh man, I just, I want to talk about only ornaments so badly. Uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll save that as a cliffhanger along with the yeah. uh, $10 in the laptop. Um, sure. it's, it's really funny because I, I foresee that people tuning into this show, um, you know, might hear about it from me and go, oh, Jason's going to be the guy with the crazy ideas. You have just as many crazy creative ideas as I do. It's just that you the, the stories haven't been told. They've just been kind of like it's true. kept quiet. So uh, yeah, and, and I do think that's also one of the things that's really exciting for me and why we decided to do this podcast is that as much as you have kind of the um, I don't I don't mean this in any offense, and I don't think you would take this way. Like the boring business stuff. Yeah. So like no, business real estate right. is not sexy in a right. lot of different people's minds. But then you also have this 150,000 ornament uh, business that is just hilarious. So there's there's such an interesting dichotomy between the things that you're involved in. And I think that's why it's going to be <laughs> so fun to talk about. And it's why for years we've had these phone calls that have eventually led to us talking about making this, this show. So um, as the kind of quasi-producer here uh, to kind of lead people into what's next. So the, the idea for the episodes moving forward, and this is just kind of, you know, I think we're going to, we're actually going to build the parachute on the way down with this show a little bit, yeah, um, right. is that we want to touch on these different businesses that we're working on, what's moving the needle with them. And that that can be up or down. And what are mm-hmm. the things we're doing? What are the things we're learning? And, and I'm actually kind of seeing in between those updates, you know, we can really talk about some of the individual businesses that we've worked on, um, some of which will have, I think, some really good parallels to each other. And, mm-hmm. and then just some ideas on, you know, I think it would be really interesting to explore, again, these different quadrants because we've lived in all of these different quadrants. And I think- sure. I, I still live kind of in the, you know, left side, if you will. You're living more in the right side, although you are kind of tied to the left side of like the solopreneur. No, yeah. uh, A little too much on the left side myself. Same yeah. with me. And I, I do think it's going to be interesting, even if these calls also help us move in the direction we want to go, because now we have kind of a public accountability motivation where you have your own self-motivation, but I, when you do a project like this, and even if it's just a podcast between friends, it does give you a spark that you don't get sitting at your laptop at your desk to hunker down and work on stuff. Like you. Well, could- that's why I was so intrigued about doing this podcast because you and I, you know, the, the, the impetus for this was, as we talk, you know, maybe once a month, once every month and a half, and we kind of catch up on what's been going on. But the catch up is not just like, oh, what's going on? It's more like, I'm trying this specific thing. Yep. Here's what I'm trying to accomplish with it. Um, and it's either moving the needle or it's not moving the needle, getting you closer to where you're trying to go. And then of course, you know, given our nature of our backgrounds, we often have thoughts on that Mm -hmm. for each other, you know, like, oh yeah, yeah, that's a good idea. I should try that. You know? So a a lot of what we end up kind of catching up on in life turns into like almost a strategy session for each other on various things that kind of trigger us to then go try something else or try something slightly different. And it's very tactical things, right? We get off the, at least for me, I get off the calls and I'm like, you know what? I got to build a course that does this, or I got to think about how I'm going to strategically market that a little bit differently, like, like you do with wandering aimfully or something, you know? So it, it, this podcast kind of forces our hand at it instead of being just kind of a casual when we happen to pick up the phone and talk to each other. 
I think this will at least help me, I know, um, push these things forward a lot quicker in the directions I want to go because our calls end up being so valuable, but they're not intentional, mm-hmm. you know, and, th- and this puts some intentionality behind it for sure. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, I think that's a good place to wrap up the the about episode here. Um, and if you know, if we've if we kept your attention, dear listener, all the way to this point, then yes, I think thank you. You, I think you're going to like this show. If uh, if not, then obviously you've already figured out it's not for you. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, these uh, these next few weeks, we really are going to be building that parachute on the way down, kind of feeling things out. Um, if you ever have feedback for us. I think I check my email a lot more than you check your email. So uh, we'll have people email me just hello at jasondoesstuff.com. If you have thoughts, ideas, questions, uh, you know, I know listening to a podcast can be very ephemeral these days. So, uh, but I do, even with my other show that I have with my wife, having that conversation with people who listen and learning what they like and what helps them, uh, I think is going to be interesting. So if you, if you heard some nuggets in this and you're, you're listening this far in and you just have some ideas or thoughts or things you want to send through, uh, open line of communication to email me, hello at jasondoesstuff.com, um, send those ideas through. And then otherwise, you do the the stuff on iTunes and all the other things, you know, subscribe and, and leave a rating and review, uh, you know, hard sell on that stuff. Uh, but it really does help us. I mean, especially with mm-hmm. a new show, it is helpful to get ratings and reviews early on. So do those things. And uh, yeah, I think that's it. All righty. On to the next one. 